In 2013, the Australian Doctor Who podcasting landscape sounded much like a Chris Chibnall script. Barren, desolate, and about as fulfilling as a wet weekend down the Mornington Peninsula. At the same time, there are only two Doctor Who podcasts, one containing a panel of splendid chaps leaning so far to the left they eventually cancelled themselves, and the other hosted by a then 13-year-old lad who's frantic typing in the background while recording interviews with his guests was either a call for help or him doing his homework. Into this ninth circle of podcasting hell, a legend was born. A chance email between your two hosts when they should have been working asked, how in God's name do we start a podcast? And what's a microphone? Led to a now legendary, the police file has been sealed for 99 years, meeting at a coffee establishment in the People's Republic of the Melbourne CBD, where we developed our mission to the unknown statement. Bombast all day, every day. No reviews, no DVD commentaries. Pick a topic and talk it to death then give it a good kicking on the way out the door to the nearest pub. Whilst we more or less followed our own mantra, heck, we even channeled our favourite program by having a small hiatus in the middle of our run, we provided and continue to provide a unique warts and all approach to Doctor Who podcasting. Never afraid to express their opinions with a passion and a verve only reserved for warfare on the Eastern Front with the launch of Operation Barbarossa. To celebrate our 101st episode, not only do we present you with a new instalment of one of our most popular segments, but we will be broadcasting in our original name for one note only before Mark chickened out and good sense and taste prevailed. That's right, we are not 42 to Doomsday. Instead, we are the Doable Barkers. Let's slip the dogs of war and cry podcasting. That's right, Centurions, we are back. Rob, how are you, sir? I am, as they say, alive. How are you, Mark? Good, matey. Good to have you back uh, strapping on the microphone with me tonight. Yes, thank you very much. I'm actually standing. I'm in the uh, specially dedicated former singing room here, now a dance room. So if there's a slight echo, that's because of the dance flooring that we've had installed over lockdown. But yes, I'm back. Bigger, literally bigger, more bolder, and probably better than before. So yes, and how have you been, Mark? About the same as you. Getting slightly, what's the word, uh, panda bear shaped. Um, my hair is starting to thin out. Are you the pandurian candidate, Mark? At the moment, tell you what, it's awful. Keep saying we're going to go back to the gym. This hasn't happened yet, but uh, yeah, one day I will go back. Yes, one day. One, one day. day. Will you fall from the uh, walking machine, mate, and then the camera will zoom in on you and you'll say the moment has been prepared for? Yeah, and I'll switch David Bradley and, I'll, <laughs> and then I'll just start you know, having that mirage of Matt Smith in the corner. I watched Morbius the other day, the film with Matt Smith. Oh, yes. How was yeah. that? It was real. Uh, <laughs> How was Matt Smith? He was actually all right. Yeah, it was a very average, you know. It wasn't Top Gun 2, was it? Well, I haven't seen Top Gun 2, mate. Oh, do yourself a favour, mate. Stop recording now. Go and see it. It's fantastic. See you later. I, I hope to get that down to the uh, local cinema and have a, have a gander because I remember watching, I think I went and when I saw it, uh, was on the same day that Nigel Mansell blew out a tyre in the Adelaide Grand Prix oh, and yeah. cost himself his first uh, Grand Prix win. So, uh the, that uh, brings back uh, definite memories. Great movie, uh, but I hear that the second movie is even better, which is unusual. It, it, it is actually. It's one of those very rare occasions. It's been sitting on the shelf for two years, a bit like uh, certain warehouse in Wigan. And like that one, though, we've actually been able to uh, see some uh, results from it. 
Dive, Mark, dive. dive. We're eagles there. That's all I can say. Hey, before we crack on with uh, this episode today, we don't get much feedback, but we've actually had some reviews posted and I'm going to read them out. And it says, always an entertaining listen. One of my favorite Who podcasts. This is presented by two Aussies who always manage to be opinionated, but fair, likable, and often amusing. I've been listening for several years now. That's from my mum. Uh, does she no, live in she, Finland now, does she, mate? She, yeah, morning time in Finland. So hello uh, to you in Finland. Hello to our friends in Finland who are even now preparing to join NATO. <laughs> get in quick, guys. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the other one there, Rob, I might get you to uh, read this one out. Excellent. So it's uh, headed by Doctor Who fans rejoice. For any fans of Who, this is the podcast for you. Triple first for also being Australian, clever, and so many chats about classic Doctor Who. Yes, there is a bit of geekdom. This is Doctor Who after all. However, these guys make interesting and funny. I just wish they podcasted more and potentially had me on as a guest to also share my geekdom and love of the show in brackets, hint, exclamation mark. So thank you very much. That's um, uh, very nice of you. And we don't know who you are to ask you anyway. And so, you know, if you want to drop us a line, then we'll have to vet you, of course. But so, of yeah, course, but thank, yes. thank you. I have friends who work for the Australian Federal Police. They will vet you to the max. Go places that you haven't actually realised you've been. With and without a rubber glove. <laughs> Whatever people's preferences are, Mark, we live in an age where uh, anything goes. And uh, speaking of anything goes, we've had a mm. piece of audio feedback uh, from somebody called JB to congratulate us on our magnificent achievement. So take it away, JB. I'm just listening and I'm in a bit of a mess because I just have to say that I want you all to know how proud I am of everybody on it. Everybody who contributed. It's something special. Fuck. Oh. Thank you for that feedback, JB. It was most enlightening and emotional. It was real. It's it's very, very, uh, you know, frankly, it's unlikely these days for people to be as real as, as JB. So we do thank you for bearing your soul. Right, Rob, what's next? What is next, Mark? We're going to try something out that's new. Well, new-ish, isn't it, Rob? Oh, Yes. We're calling it Battle of Wits, named after one of those episodes of The Time Meddler. What are we going to do, Rob, again? Well, I had a flash of inspiration, Mark, which may or may not have been a stroke. I'm not entirely sure yet. I'm just seeing my therapist tomorrow to work it out. The general idea, and it's not a new idea, of course, but it's an idea, and I'll lay claim to it, is to ask each other a burning uh, question. It, can, it, it, it may be a uh, top, it may have some topicality, mm. or it may be an old one, and just... Uh, We'll just pose a question to each other at the top of each episode and just uh, see how we go with regards to the response. So, Rob, do you want to kick things off and ask me a uh, scenario, please? Or a yes, it is. On? And it, of course, it is Doctor Who related. I'm not going to ask for Mark's uh, deep and personal thoughts on this, that and the other outside of Doctor Who. It'll only be Doctor Who. Uh, so, Mark, my oh. question, oh. which I remember composing in my head last week, so excuse me if I fumble my way through it. Should Colin Baker have put personal feelings and indeed his ego aside, and agreed to come back for four episodes to tie up his era and give the fans and the show a proper regeneration? Question mark. Well, it would have saved us from that bloody awful big finish thing they did. What was that called? The Last Adventure? Um, <sighs> oh, just fan wank on a platter. Well, I suppose from his point of view, he was very angry at the time. You know, obviously, he was treated very shabbily. Uh, as you said, though, I think you know sometimes the uh, the role is bigger than the actor in general. And yes, I think he should have actually done the four episodes. You know, on some of those BBC literature, you have Colin Baker eighty four to eighty six, 
or mm. some exhibitions you have 84 to 87, it would have actually legitimized the 84 to 87 headings that they had at those exhibitions. I think it would have been a nice little coda for Colin. He could have showed them, you know, what he wanted to do with the role, the last sort of stab, as it were. Definitely would have been no spoons, would there? The tone would have been a lot better and a lot different as well. So actually, I think it would have been good to see Colin do that. And it would have wrapped it up as a nice little coda. Does the fact that uh, the script editor had marched out the building, there were no scripts, there were no script writers, there was barely, JNT was basically the production team. Does that influence your thinking in any way that, you know, there was barely a script that could be scrapped together to, you know, for Tom and the, and the Rani? Would it have just been Colin heading Tom and the Rani? Is that a way to go out? Well, the original draft actually had him in it. And him sacrificing himself at the end with the rocket silos, wherever it was. So the original draft was actually there ready to go. It was just that, you know, and let's be honest, the actual four episode was a concession that John Nathan Turner actually fought for. BBC would have obviously would have agreed to it. It was only just basically Colin Baker who didn't agree to it. But then, you know, Colin then got uh, a number of uh, months out of um, work from the stage doing that. uh, What was it called? The one where had Jack Watling in it. Corpse. A bit like his Mm. acting career on television shortly afterwards. Yes. Harsh. Yeah. And at the time of recording a very happy 79th birthday to Colin Baker. Um, no. Is he 79? Yes. Well, Nicola Bryant, in the middle of her COVID uh, isolation, uh, tweeted, uh, many happy returns to such a handsome gentleman, or words to that effect. I think, is it next year? It's like the 40th anniversary of his casting. Is that yeah, his Yeah. It's oh, thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, he was born in 43. Yeah, Jesus wow. Christ. Wow. Where's time gone? Jesus, yeah. Well, I'm so sure he's uh, asking that today as well. <laughs> so, yes, I think Colin could have done the four episodes of Time in the Running. Would have actually set the tone for the season and maybe not have been so slapstick with, um, you know, McCoy starting off in Paradise Towers. Interesting. Perhaps. Yes. Very good. So, Rob, your, uh, your question I'm going to pose to you is that during the McCoy years, Ooh. it was often posed and even threatened that Gary Downey should have been made associate producer of Doctor Who. Mm. Rob working in tandem with his partner. I fear that had that occurred, Mark, the entire universe as one would have risen up and uh, and howled a, a resounding no. I think that based on the Richard Marsden book and other things that have come out, uh, Gary Downey uh, brought out the worst in JNT. I tend yeah. to think. Yeah. And I think that if he had had someone there. Uh, enabling perhaps those worse uh, instincts that the show would have rapidly, I mean, rapidly gone downhill. I mean, it was it was swirling around in the toilet uh, at that point anyway. But I think that someone of Gary Downey's instincts and perhaps inclinations would have been reputationally, certainly if certain things had gotten out, uh, allegedly, uh, would have been, would have consigned the show to a rather ignominious end. I mean, you know, he obviously had a professional life, I think, in, in, in the TV industry and had input in that regard. But I think giving him a bit more power than he was uh, he deserved um, would have put a lot of people uh, in the production team offside. And it, it's not strictly, I think, the definition of nepotism, but it is, it is a form of nepotism to have, you know, the producer's partner come on board uh, as an associate producer or someone, you know, he's, he's t- t- two I see. I think it would have been an absolute debacle. I think there would have been, you know, a rebellion and, you know, heads would have rolled uh, whoever would have nominated him. And I think JNT would have been in all sorts of trouble for even, you know, putting the idea forward or supporting the idea. So, no, that idea, terrible, terrible, terrible. 
There would have well, been more dancing in the episode. <laughs> having raised two daughters who are dancers, <laughs> yes, well, you know, dancing, but um, uh, no, no, no dancing, please. It, it reminds me of thinking that J&T book where Colin Baker was talking about Gary Downey going to the conventions, guest of honour and all sort of stuff, and him doing these sort of dancing slash jazzercise classes and these sort of more rotund American lady fans trying to keep up with him. <laughs> it was it was a strange time in Doctor <laughs> Who's history. J&T was just the wrong person. I mean, you, the more I read of uh, Richard Molesworth's new book, the, the, the more it just reinforces that J&T creatively was just the wrong person to be on the show. And that was just reinforced and magnified the longer he stayed. Yeah, he was the anti-King Midas in a sense, the longer he was there. Everything he touched turned to shit. So, yeah. you, know. <laughs> you kept the BBC bar running for a number of years. Oh, we got a, a PDF and I printed it out. And I was just underlying, I was circling every time there was mention that JT retired to the BBC bar. I ran out of ink on my pen, you know. It was just, it was monotonously frequent. It was. <laughs> Oh, these fans turned up. He took them to the bar. Unbelievable. All right, Unbelievable. so that was a battle of wits, or as some wags will no doubt say, battle of the twits. And if you have any suggestions, please drop us a line. and We'd love to pose them to each other. Yes. Strap yourselves in, everyone, because we're now going to drag ourselves back to the year 1982. Before we sort of kick into the fun stuff, uh, let's have a look at some of the major news events of that year. On January the 30th, the first computer virus, the Elk cloner, was written by a 15-year-old rich scrinter. Is found it infects Apple II uh, computers via a floppy disk. I oh, know the Elk cloner is the virus. What's Rich Scrinter doing today? Probably in a maximum security prison somewhere in the Midwest of America, seeing the sunlight for about five minutes every two weeks. He's probably working for Kaspersky, one of those companies inventing viruses, so we have to buy the subscriptions to knock them out. Yeah, so the Elk cloner is the first. Do we know what it actually did? No, I have no idea. I didn't get that far. I just thought, that's interesting because uh, I always say the reason why Apple computers don't have a virus is because nobody uses them. Now, I had a 2E, mate, and those floppy disks were handed around like... Confetti at a wedding. Confetti at a wedding. I was going to say something yeah. really objectionable there, but thank you very much for coming in. There was yeah, no internet, obviously, no real internet to actually you know, no. send infected emails. So it was the floppy disk. And I actually, um, I think I have some in a box in the garage on the other side of this wall. So hmm, Ooh, Get them on Gumtree. The They'll well, be worth a bit of money these days, mate. They're all copies of games, Wizardry and Conan the Barbarian and... Um... Load Runner. Now, there's a bug in Load Runner, Mark. You can't get yes. past level something. Yes, that's exactly it. Frustrating. Yes. Really yes. frustrating. That's probably the Elk cloner virus right there. But the Commodore 64 version was fine, mate. So, again, just down to an Apple computer. God damn it. On April the 1st. Yes. Uh, the, in uh, the, the invasion of the Falkland Islands began. Those wacky Argentine forces landed near Stanley and set off that particular war. On the 23rd of April in 1992, the ZX Spectrum computer, the 16K and 48K versions, was released to the, uh, the UK uh, population. Nick, I ask a question, Mark. Is mm. The 16 slash 48K, is that the actual size of the memory? Yeah, that's a RAM. <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing, isn't it? So you're saying that my iPhone, which I'm now holding up in my hand, is probably a 1,000 times more powerful than the ZX Spectrum from 1982? Yeah. Probably 2,000 times more. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I think so. And I still can't work out if that computer was actually released in Australia or not because I, I'm pretty sure my then-next-door neighbour 
was getting a, a ZX Spectrum 48K for his Christmas in 1984. Mm. We we're living here by then, so I still can't work out if actually it did come to the shore. So uh, let us know if anybody actually can um, prove that mm. fact for me. Um, Retro fans, get in touch with us at 42 to doomsday at gmail.com. Now, my favourite thing in the world is mass death and war, and on June 6th, the Lebanon war begins. No, it's not really my favourite thing, but there are other things. But anyway, uh, Israeli forces under Defence Minister Ariel Sharon who later became Prime Minister, invade southern Lebanon in their Operation Peace for the Galilee, eventually reaching as far north as the capital of Beirut. I have very dim memories of seeing this on the telly, mate. It was uh, yes. awful, awful yeah. for all involved. Yeah, and just kept going and going and going, didn't it? It's not for ages, yeah. Well, I mean, th- that, that was where uh, American Marines were blown up at one point later in the decade. Mm. And I think there were many people were kidnapped. Or Westerners were kidnapped as well. I think as part of that I whole thing. I think conflict. so. Yeah, yeah. I do have dim memories, like you're watching mm. on television. Mm. Now, in happier news, mm. uh, if you're Steven Spielberg and want a big bank balance, on June the 11th, ET, the extraterrestrial, is released in the United States. This will become the biggest box office hit for the next 11 years. Now, mm. I have fond memories of actually reading the book well before I saw the movie. Really. Was the book better than the film? Oh no, you can't say that. I mean, it was a, obviously just a. It was a, it was a novelization. It was a novelization of the movie. It was all right. A target books. It was about. It was as thick as probably four targets. So it was about a good three hundred pages from memory. I mean, it was yeah. you know it was a fair novelization. I mean, the movie was better, obviously, but um, yeah. yeah. July eleventh, Italy beats West Germany three to one to win the eighty two FIFA World Cup in El España. Viva Italia! Yes, va bene. So uh, were you there, Rob? Uh, was I there? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. West Germany. Whatever happened to West Germany, I wonder, Mark? Mm. Unified. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, now I do remember this. On July 23rd, Twilight Zone, the movie had a terrible accident. During its filming, actor Vic Morrow and two child actors die in a helicopter stunt accident in California. That's that scene where the helicopter just basically comes down and lands on top of everyone, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, which actually did. It's terrible. Yeah. Is, um, did they use part of that footage for the scene or did they go back and I, reshoot? Can you I, I, honestly, I can't remember, but I mean, there's a massive lawsuit after it and they had to obviously, you know, movie uh, safety back then was, what's the word? Um, non-existent? Non-existent, no, obviously. No, I can't say that. It yeah. was, they're on the, on the edge. It was, yeah. was it Martin Landis? Was it, jo- it was John Landis? Isn't John it? Landis, sorry, not Martin Landis. And that sort yeah. of pretty much his, um, destroyed his career, didn't it? Because uh, Yeah, because what did you do after? Did you, did you Benefit Hill cop? Did he do that? I can't remember. Mm, well, go to, go to Wikipedia, people. You can tell us later. Yeah, uh, yeah I do remember that. And they're actually, the fact that they managed to actually complete that segment of the movie um, at all, yeah. um, you know, says something about their dedication to getting it done, I suppose. Mm. Now, Mark, on August the 17th, what happened? The very first compact discs were produced in Germany. In West Germany, Mark. Not just Germany, West Germany. Yes, those uh, West Germany CD plants started churning out classical music. I don't think Die Straits had recorded her brothers and Arthur by then. Uh, <laughs> I think I remember later in the decade that um, there was an article in Channel 9 News, I think on a Sunday from memory, where they were talking about the first CDs being produced in Australia. And it may have been for Johnny Farnham. I- His manager, yeah, like Lamentic Glenn Wheatley, part investor into Distronics, was the uh, plant churning out all that Australian stuff. And uh, yes, he invested some of Johnny's earnings into that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the CD has basically gone the way of the dodo, mate, hasn't it? So sad. But there you it's go. It's making a slight comeback, though, actually. Yeah, but now. Why? Think, yeah, well, it's the next thing on vinyl, isn't it, really? I mean, yeah. I've still got a CD player connected to my stereo. I still play the occasional CD. I played the KLF, the White Room, the other day. That's a good Did you? Song. The KLF, yeah. mate. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. 
The Kalef. <laughs> not not doing the TARDIS. The more decent stuff. Well, the know? scary thing is that a car that I've had for uh, 10 years has got a CD player in it. Uh, but the car that we bought recently in the last couple of years has no CD player in it. Wow. And that's I think that's standard for everyone now. Bluetooth, isn't it, mate? Bluetooth all the way, mate. Now, mm. Mark, I know this is this this date has a hallowed uh place in your life and existence, and I'm sure that there's a shrine somewhere in your house. Please, <laughs> for the benefit of our listeners, what happened in August of 1982? I'm gonna get emotional here. Hold on. Don't get too emotional, okay? Okay. In August 1982. The Commodore 64 computer, aka the C64, was released. Absolutely magnificent, mate. I recall many fond uh, hours spent at a friend's place using his C64, <laughs> just listening to those discordant notes coming from the, uh, the tape player. Oh, yeah. I remember loading up Pit Stop 2 before I got turbo loaded. 20 minutes. Used to go and make yourself a cup of tea, come back. You used to be able to have dinner. The, yeah. The, the kids of today would, would slice their wrists open if they had to wait yeah. 20 seconds, let yeah, alone exactly. 20 minutes. Mark, give me a top three game from the C64. <gasps> Okay, Spy vs. Spy Ooh. was one of them. Rambo Part 2 was excellent. Uh, Pit Stop 2 I loved as well. But there's Retro, so many mate. and vaguely bought any of them. I just pirated them. Look, I think we passed the statute of limitations now, mate. What percentage of your games collection was pirated? 98. <laughs> <laughs> so low, Mark. I'm surprised. <laughs> yes, I did have a couple of originals. You go to school and just swapping tapes and discs around. What was the really good um, Commodore 64 magazine? Was it Zap or Zap, the other one? Zap was a good one. Commodore user wasn't a very good one. But... CNVG was a good computer magazine, but it's not dedicated simply to the C64, was it? No. Got a lot of PDFs of the old Zaps and things. Reminisce about the good old days, but and, and, coming and, back now. And before we send everyone into a coma, um, have you got a C64 emulator now? I've got an emulator on my computer, but I also bought the Maxi. Uh, they did it a couple of years ago, the, the full-size Commodore 64 revisited, reborn, uh, uh, where you just basically plug USB sticks and off you go. And I also bought the new Mini Amiga, which I haven't set up yet as well. So I've got a couple of days off work coming up and might actually uh, crack that open and give it a look. We move from, you know, the, the hallowed moment in August to a rather sad event. On the 18th of September, the funeral of Princess Grace of Monaco takes place uh, in Monaco. Uh, you know, formerly just a very normal uh, Grace Kelly. Uh, she died after having a, suffered a car accident a few days previously. Now, of course, Grace Kelly appears in Rear Window. Is that correct? I believe it was. She's, she's, so. she's another one of uh, Alfred Hitchcock's icy, unattainable blondes. All right, what happened on October the 1st, Mark? Sony launched their very first CD player, the model CDP-101. So Probably. they could marry up. The CDs being made in West Germany mm. with the player in where was it? Where was that? I think it was in uh, Japan. Killed tens of millions of people in World War Two and then become the dominant uh, technological uh, nation in the seventies and eighties. How does that work? Uh, yes, how does that work? Here we go. I remember this on October the eleventh, the Mary Rose, Henry VIII's flagship, that sank in fifteen forty five, is raised from the Salent. Or so wow. it was badly designed and basically turned turtle on its maiden voyage. <laughs> I remember reading about that. It just turned upside down and sank. It was a Dalek. They caused it. Like, it's like the Mary Celeste, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Was there much of it left? Can you remember when they raised it up? Was it more than oh, three planks? Or I would. <laughs> no, I would have assumed that the, the hull uh, and some of the decking uh, and stub, uh, stumps of the mast. Uh, I would have assumed also that the cannons and whatever, all that metal gear, uh, you know. If the water was cold enough, it wouldn't have uh, deteriorated too much. And I understand at the time, it, it, they basically need to keep on bathing it in water. Otherwise, it just dries out and 
you know, dies effectively. Well, no wonder so, it sank, really, because, I mean, Henry VIII was a bit of a fat bastard, didn't he? So well, no wonder it sort of went over turtle and glug, glug, glug. This has been uh, vetted by our lawyers. So <laughs> on November the 30th, what happened on November the 30th? <laughs> Michael Jackson released Thriller in the United States. Shimon! Uh, which will go on to be the greatest selling album of all time. And 110 million units sold worldwide. Now, astonishingly, Mark, that number is exactly the same as the total audience for Doctor Who as reported in Peter Haining's Key to Time, 110 million viewers worldwide. Yes, which is basically plucked out of J&T's um, posterior of that number. Did you at the time, Mark, see the 30-minute making of and uh, video? Oh, yes, that was cutting edge back then, and now it's just embarrassing. It's just terrible. When we saw it, so I was in my first year of high school, so that was it was actually about 18 months later, and me and another student in our first year of high school were chosen to go and watch this at the local, now, excuse me for saying the words, but the local special school, so the local kids who were handicapped or whatever, um, they went to a special school. We got to actually sit down and watch the whole thing. So that was a bit of a little special thing for us. But uh, great song. Uh, Vincent Price is absolutely magnificent uh, doing the spoken word bits throughout. So, yeah, it's quite a good album, apart from The Girl Is Mine. It's a real turd of a song. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for just bringing that down, mate. Michael Jackson. Shimon. Shimon. Okay. Shimon. So, <laughs> I'm just moonwalking around the floor here, Mark, <laughs> on the dance floor. Yes. Very, I'm very badly. A bit All like right. this text, gentlemen. <clears throat> well, yes. On December the 2nd at the University of Utah, no doubt this fellow was a Mormon, the 61-year-old retired dentist and possible Mormon Barney Clark becomes the first person to receive a permanent artificial heart. That's mm-hmm. actually not bad. That's actually not That's bad. That's pretty good. When he woke up, though, they, he goes, they said, how do you feel? He goes, pain, pain, pain. Oh, oh, Mark. <laughs> Stephen Moffat, if you're listening out, I, I don't endorse that comment. That's terrible. And then the nurses go, how do you feel? He goes, care? Why do you care? <laughs> Sorry. Actually, there was a fellow earlier this year who had a pig's heart put into a, a, a genetically designed pig's heart that was put into him, and unfortunately he picked up a pig disease uh, and died. But they were Why quite hopeful it? about that. No. Um, yeah. And uh, Boxing yes. Day, December 26. The Time magazine awarded... The man of the year, mm-hmm. but for the first time, it went to a non-human. Ooh, and uh, that non-human mark was Chris Chibnall. No, it was actually. <laughs> God, the, the lawyers don't endorse <laughs> that at all. Sorry. No, it was actually the computer. The computer. The computer. Was, well, uh, I think Mark, given that Time magazine named Adolf Hitler as man of the year back in the thirties, <laughs> their their ability wow. to pick him was a bit wayward. But given, actually, in this instance, it's pretty prescient because. Um, uh, we all know how much computers uh, dominate our lives. Yes. What were your memories? Can you remember that far back? I can. I can actually, because uh, 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 in late '81, uh, my parents up stumps uh, with um, my sister and I, and we moved to the uh, the sheltered burg of uh, Ararat in central Victoria, one of the great gold towns of the 1850s and 60s. Uh, Ararat was a, let's just say it, redneck central mark. So being, uh, my parents uh, immigrated from Italy in uh, 1950, I remember. Uh, No, I don't remember that, but they certainly uh, do. So we were the only Italian family, as far as I was aware, in Ararat. Uh, There was a Maltese boy and a Greek girl uh, in my class. So it was uh, for about 18 months, including 1982, it was wog this and dago that. Uh, Oh, my God. And uh, there were two uh, twin brothers uh, in the year above me who were complete assholes about it. So 82 wasn't a great year, and much of 83 wasn't until 
I finally cracked and my father found out what was going on and marched to the principal's office and basically said, if you don't sort those boys out, I will. And uh, remarkably, they were as sweet as pie afterwards. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so 82 wasn't great. But I mean, we lived in Ararat, uh, parents ran a motel, uh, which featured in the movie Lake Mungo, if anyone is a horror fan who's watched Lake Mungo. Look, aside from the, you know, not actually liking going to school because I was getting uh, bullied, um, all right, it was nice. It's it's cold, um, but you know, parents run a motel, and uh, you know I got into buying Doctor Who novelizations back in '82. Actually, I had a good friend named Jason Marshall, who's now a, a nurse in the hospital system here, and uh, we went on uh, Doctor Who novelization uh, target book buying things. He bought. Um, I remember him buying um, the Dark Invasion of Earth, and I was I saw the I saw the cover, and I thought, oh, I'd like a bit of that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I started I started in on that. So um, yeah, that was '82 for me, Mark. It had its. Uh, some pretty bad lows, actually. and But um, oh. anyway, uh, that's life. That's life. Oh, and you, Mark, what was 82? You'd, you'd been in Australia um, for a few years? Only two. Only two years by then, yes. Still learning the lingo as well. I wasn't getting uh, my... I think my accent had been punched out of me by then, so I sort of blend, <laughs> oh, I blended in quite all right. <laughs> sort of a bit of a blur, really. Everybody our house got broken into. They stole oh, really? The, yeah, they stole the colour telly TV, which coincidentally had broken down a few days before, so that was a bit wow. of a win. Then I had to watch Doctor Who on black and white portable. Just like God intended, Mark. Well, this yes. newfangled colour nonsense, I won't stand for it. I can't stand for it. Yes, and, and the cops then, uh, when they turned up to my house, our cat was missing and uh, the cop said to my dad, maybe he's a cat burglar. And my dad just told them to get out. <laughs> my grandparents arrived uh, for a bit of a, a visit to see how we were going from the UK. Mm. So that was just nice. And they went out and felt guilty for not you know, buying as presents for the last couple of years. So I went to Northlands Ooh. and I got a Nintendo Donkey Kong. Yeah, the, pen and what, the clock and watch thing, alarm and watch, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. So the, was it the orange one? Yeah, I got the orange one. And my oh, brother nice. actually found it a couple of years ago. Mm. And for some reason, I'd etched on the front of it my name, a oh. very nice drawing of me, but also a little TARDIS. It's not worth as much as what it would have been if I'd left it in a box. <laughs> but, um, yes. They're, they're fabulously uh, expensive now to buy second, well, you know, on the, on the, mm. the secondhand market. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine actually bought a whole stack of them from uh, Crime Converters many years ago for like a couple of bucks. <laughs> I mean, they're probably all stolen, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you, you know, bought them with legitimate money. But Lovely. He's sitting on a uh, retro gold mine there. Well, I'd actually, I think that year I got the brown one, which was, again, a Donkey Kong Junior. one. But it, I think it wasn't the orange. Uh, it was a two-screen one. I can't quite remember. Mm. You still got it? Uh, no, no, that's long gone, mate, oh. unfortunately. Sad. Could have, paid the mortgage, could have paid the mortgage off with it, yeah, for sure. And given interest rates where they are at the moment and where they're heading. Yes. yes. God damn it. Um, yes, God damn it. We're in a bit of an energy crisis at the moment, aren't we? Yes. Well, I've actually, I'm standing here and there's a heater overhead, but I haven't turned it on because I know that I'd actually have, probably have to sell a kidney to pay for it at the end of the quarter. So there you go. Should we set up a Patreon to pay for our energy bills? To- <laughs> well, contribute to the Fortitude of Doomsday gas account Patreon. No, no exactly. We'll talk so much tonight. There'll be plenty of gas in this room. You know, so, be- <laughs> so, Mark, that was 1982. In a nutcase. <laughs> Let's crack on with the Doctor Who news of that year. Now, again, DWB, the, the go-to for our fanzines uh, and news and things like that, wasn't around. It was actually the next year. However, I've been scouring my own archives and I've got a whole run of the Celestial Toy Room from 1982 that year. So what we're going to do is read out all the good 
bits of juicy news and people's addresses from back then. And then we're going to have a separate, another podcast because there's so much material to go through some other articles from TARDISes and, and some of the more funnier letters as well. But we thought we'd just focus on the, purely on the news on this one. If you are a person who wrote into a Celestial Toy Room uh, and still resided that address, we apologise in advance. And if you have a happened to actually moved into one of those addresses that we read out, well, good luck to you. Because now we know where you live and uh, I'm sure three Doctor Who fans will be knocking on the door saying, excuse me, are you <laughs> this person? Where's those Power of the, power of the Daleks film prints, you bastards? They're in Wigan, mate. Wigan. Yeah. Oh, did you see the uh, the Morecambe and Wise uh, Lost uh, episodes have been released in the last couple yes. of days, Marks, on DVD? It was interesting what they did with the sludgier episode, wasn't it? I had held high hopes after seeing what they've been trying to do in the last three or four years. Uh, oh. I mean... I suppose they probably thought that they would have been inducing epileptic fits on a whole lot of viewers, given how flickering the images were. But it appears that they've just grabbed images and tele-snap style, married them up to some audio uh, and done it that way, which is a bit of a pity. Uh, according to the reports I've seen, I mean, I haven't seen the actual episodes or the release itself, but yeah, I would have thought they would have given that at least a go or, you know, shown people what they'd managed to achieve over the last few years. But oh well. The original do? footage of when they recovered, it reminded me of, you know, the, the, the 1800s, whatever it was, Kelly Gang film, yes. one of the very feature film of Australia. And uh, yes. Yeah. And it's pretty battered and bruised as well. And, and, yeah. and some of those uh, faults on that remind me of that Morgan and Wise sludge episode. But look, it was a mm. miracle they mm. got something off it. I mean, to yeah. be honest, because. Look, uh, they may have reached a point where they just, it was not economical nah. to continue trying or the, the, the results just weren't uh, there. But I mean, uh, it's a pity. It's a pity. Mm. But anyway, what can you do? At one point, they never had, they didn't have anything from the first season of the BBC run. So they have four plus the remaining uh, episodes uh, represented with at least audio uh, is, is very good. It's very good. I might actually hunt it down and purchase it myself. Excellent. Now, speaking of new seasons, this year's run of news is very focused on the then debut of uh, Peter Davison, January the 1st. It's an editorial by some bloke called Gary Russell. Gary uh, Russell? He lived at uh, 64 Belmont Crescent in Maidenhead in Berks. Uh, so, Gary, if you're there, hello. He says, welcome to 1982. Thank you very much. Which I think will become known as the International Year of Doctor Who, a title well befitting the current 19th season. Castrovalva should be underway by the time you read this. Well, it was, wasn't it, really? Because it then went into some of the more juicier bits of news. It says the Doctor Who has been getting uh, very high ratings on uh, BBC Two recently, although the Crotons did not make it to the illustrious heights. Uh, part one of the Tribe of Gum, a.k.a. An Unearthly Child, was 10th in the Barb BBC Two ratings for its week. And the Carnival of Monsters entered the top 10 at number six and nine, or parts four and three, respectively, ousting the popular Grange Hill. Not mm. Grange Hill. I quite like Grange Hill. It was quite a good show, actually. I don't. Oh, no. It was on the ABC, wasn't it, Mark? It was on the BBC over in the UK, but on the ABC over here. Yeah. It was in the same vein as Metal Mickey for me. It wasn't, I, didn't, I, I couldn't take it seriously. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's fair just enough. Me. Uh, and there's a bit of a stop press here, uh, Rob. It says, stop Ooh. press. Next season's seventh story is entitled Time Flight. More details next issue. The K9 theme music was released on Solid Gold Records on December the 11th. Did you ever buy that single? K9 no. Company thing? No. No, the only, the only uh, cassette Doctor Who related album I purchased was the one with uh, the five Doctors on the front. Hmm. Oh, yes. Um, 
Yes, that's a good one, actually, yes. Now, given a bit of a hit list in terms of things to look at in this season. The 19th season will be transmitted on Mondays and Tuesdays at 6.55pm beginning January the 4th. So that is a break from um, Saturday tea time, isn't it? First time it was moved to a weekday slot. Did increase the ratings when it did. The season will see the return of at least two familiar faces and an increase in the sale of salary. The two familiar faces, the Cyberman and... and Master. Yeah, okay, all right. Pushing it. Mm. Yeah, and the increase in the sale of celery. Well, celery. What were they thinking? I don't, I don't know. I don't Quirky, know. I suppose. Okay, Davison will be seen playing cricket at least once, which, um, well, I mean, technically speaking, he does throw a cricket ball in Fort of Doomsday, so that's once. Yes. But obviously, uh, Black Orchid is the real deal. It's the ashes, isn't it, of Doctor Who? It is. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Uh, reverse the polarity of the neutron flare returns, and so does, when I say run, run. Mm. I mean, this is hard-hitting information that uh, Gary's unearthed. <laughs> this is I, amazing. I know. This, this is top quality. I can imagine a fan, you know, your average 10 or 11-year-old fan, just drooling over this. Now, Gary goes on to say, uh, although the costumes will stay the same in the main, Nissa will wear trousers. How bolshy. Instead of the fairy frock from Castrovelva. And, uh, yes, Adric will gain the chance to get out of his pyjamas. Is this why we have the adult time slot, asks Gary uh, rhetorically. Very mm. clever. Very yes. clever. Near the knuckle there, Gary. I don't know what's going on, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Yes. Where was Adric in Black Orchid? Fancy dress publicity stills. Ah, he'd been pirated away. Now, is that a reference to something unsavoury? No, it was, was um, Adric's costume is supposed to be a pirate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it? Hmm. I don't know. He wasn't, he wasn't vomiting somewhere, was he, after having too much, you know? I don't know. I think it's a pretty lame joke. How about these ones, Rob? I've been thinking about these, you know. I sort of oh, are you gonna, okay, joke time. All right, yes, okay, go Okay, here you go. What type of car does the 8th Doctor drive? Mark, what type of car does the 8th Doctor drive? A Renault Megane. <sighs> I don't know what to do with that, to be honest. <laughs> All right. Is there another one that you've percolated in your mind, Mark? Yes. What is the 6th Doctor's? Favorite John Pertwee story. What is the sixth Doctor's favorite? Is it jam tarts from? Ha- no, um, I don't know, Mark. What is the sixth Doctor's favorite Pertwee story? Colin in space. Oh, Mark, you've spent three seconds thinking of that one, haven't you? No, but I, pr- I prefer my jam tarts from hell. To be honest, that was quite explains. good, actually. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. What's the second Doctor's uh, relationship status on uh, Facebook? Uh, two families and counting. <laughs> <laughs> Near enough, it's complicated. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I couldn't do that. Honestly, I know it was the 60s, but I, I couldn't do that. Jesus. No wonder his heart clapped out at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was also vetted by the uh, the solicitors. Oh, now, during yeah. the season, Gary says, we will see more of the interior of the TARDIS, especially the living quarters. It is why we have that time slot, uh, Gary says in uh, brackets. It's not yes. Gary, really. It's not, but anyway. I think he's predicting the love of the TARDIS by uh, a certain Mr. H. Bidmead there. Mm. And finally, Mark, the news uh, that uh, gets the nation erect. Uh, what uh, What is the final news item? Finally, the TARDIS will have a smaller crew by the end of Story 7. So Brutal. They are, they are Absolutely saying, brutal. Prepare yourself for... Mm. Um, more change. More change. Uh, mm. And uh, it's being prepared for, obviously. Uh, the Fiery of, change. Know, they're mm. buttering people up, obviously. and then mm. uh, Setting them on fire yeah, whilst, whilst hurling them at the planet. And mm. here's some target news by <gasps> a certain David J. Howe. How are they? Wow. Happy well. Hello, David. Former uh, interviewee, former guest on the podcast. Yes. yes Lovely man. 
lovely target book. It says attendees at the Dwas uh, Social 2 will no doubt be able to tell you what was said by the guests a lot better than I will, due to the incredibly dense gentleman in front who persisted in informing his companions on his views on the guests in a superbly distracting way, which clearly annoyed poor Don Horton. Anyway, as far as I can gather, the perennial Terence Dix has completed Traken and is currently working on the Croton, whilst Andrew Smith has got quite well into his full circle novelisation, and Don Horton is quite happy for Terence to novelise his stories, influenced by ocean mining and a vacuum cleaner, respectively. Right. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it, about a fan drafting guests and, and being very annoying at a convention. That's not like Doctor Who fans. Clearly not a Doctor Who fan who wandered in. Clearly lost, didn't know what, it, what was going on. Doctor Who fans would never, ever, 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 ever interrupt the guests. Oh, Bullshit, they wouldn't, but anyway. Oh, my God. I remember going to one years ago and what have been Mark Strickson or something like that and, and Davison and uh, they're talking about Warriors in the Deep and they couldn't remember the story name and they said, oh, the bomb of the Merc and this guy goes, Warriors in the Deep. Every time you just had to butt in and correct them. Am I thinking of the same person you're thinking just by your vocal intonations there, Mark? It could have been a number of protagonists, but... I was but, just going to say, does he share a name with a certain uh, Doctor Who actor? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> A very rotund, nice doctor lookalike. Yes, yes, yes. He'd be quite worried about the change of government at the moment. But anyway. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, he says that Terence is working on the novelisation of The Crotons because that novelisation didn't come out till I think, 85, I think. So obviously there was a bit of a delay there from uh, Terence rolling in the piece of paper on his typewriter to actually... Uh, Leasing it. Were we entering the phase now where... Terence Dix's output was beginning to reduce as they allowed the actual writers of the stories. Yeah, uh, Robert Holmes still wasn't interested in doing the Crotons, for example. It's sort of starting to wind down a bit and they, they want to get the original authors back in, which mm. sometimes worked, but sometimes is a complete debacle, really. You yeah. know, shit again, it's Uncle Terence, <coughs> Celestial Toy Maker. Yes. Now, gird your loins, Rob. Oh. In All February right. 1982, this little mm. toy room, which actually has a brand new look. Yes. Rob, I'm going to let you read this out. Thank you. And uh, this is uh, February. Oh, I don't like the look at this cover, Mark. It screams uh, the sun style. A waterhouse quits. Yes, folks. The recent reports you all read in the national press recently are correct. Matthew Waterhouse is to leave Doctor Who. Matthew, I assume I don't need to remind you he plays Adric has been with the program since the making of State of Decay way back in the autumn of 1980. And by the time he leaves the series, he will have featured in 11 stories from Full Circle through to Earthshock, the sixth story of this season. Matthew, a member of the DWAS for quite some time before joining the cast, has been to both Panopticon 4 and the DWAS Social 2 as a guest, and both times he entertained us wittily, charmingly and full of vitality. The character of Adjic will bow out at, uh, of the series, as mentioned above, in Eric Sayward's forthcoming masterpiece, Earthshock, episode four to be precise. Another point of interest surrounding this story is that John Nathan Turner's promised return of an old enemy uh, comes to a head in it as well. All in all, Earthshock looks to be an all-round superb chiller, top of the Dwash season poll, perhaps? Finally, it is not known whether Adric is to be replaced, but whilst Tegan and Nissa remain, JNT is quoted as saying, three people as the doctor's assistants is overdoing it. So uh, Matthew Waterhouse pulled the plug on the show. Well, allegedly, or was, was he ousted? Originally, JNT wanted to get rid of Nissa, but Davison said no way because he felt the character Nissa worked best with him. So uh, poor old Matthew got the uh, 
the chop. It's interesting they're talking about Earthshot. I wonder if they actually had access to some you know, early tidbits of the script because they're, they're really sort of pumping up the tyres on it, aren't they, really? Well, I mean, masterpiece, top of the pole, even before it's actually been screened. Um, superb chiller. They've obviously had access to the script or, well, you know, would they have been in the gallery watching? Uh, bits no, of they weren't allowed. They actually blocked out the gallery. Oh, that's uh, right, yes. Yeah, because you didn't want people knowing, even though the voices probably would have given it away, going the mm. Would it have been better that uh, Janet Fielding had been given the axe and they'd kept uh, Sarah Sutton and Matthew Waterhouse? Better dynamic, perhaps? No, I actually think Tegan was uh, the right companion to uh, keep. Yeah, Controversy. I quite like her. I quite like her, actually. Mm. I know you're not you, a big fan. but You're uh, like short-haired brunettes, mate. Is that what you're saying? Let's move on. It's interesting that... Uh, Jane Tears quote is saying three people as a doctor's assistant is overdoing it. Well, he didn't sort of heed that too much because by the third story of the of this next season, he's back to three again. But for a yeah. couple for a couple of episodes. Only for a couple of episodes, yeah. yeah. But a, a certain young Chris Chibnall could have heeded that uh, advice, and um, but he didn't. So there you go. Now, speaking of heeding people's advice, uh, the next one in Letra set is says uh, time dash 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 flight. Story seven, as briefly stated last month, is penned by director. Peter Grimwright of Full Circle Legopolis Kinder Earshot fame and his title Time Flight or is it Time Flight no space no actual story details are known yet thank god but reports do suggest it will end the season as a climactic way as Legopolis wrapped up season 18 Ooh, interesting uh, yeah. use of the word climactic there Mark Ron Black Orchid Jones directs and in the cast are Keith Drinkle with Richard Easton of The Brothers fame as Captain Stapley and everybody's favourite Dr Watson Nigel Stock as Professor Hater should be good viewing. Mm. That's ominous, isn't it? Really, should be good viewing. Yeah. Uh, we now move on to March of 1982, and again another editorial by a certain Gary Russell. So, welcome aboard Flight Three of the Good Plane Dwass. Gary obviously clearly liked just uh, personalising his editorials. Uh, today's flight is a rather short one for many reasons, not least due to the mid-season news depression. Still, the flight team hope you still manage to enjoy our brief time together. I have been requested to inform you that the next season of Doctor Who will again consist of 26 episodes, broken up into six four-parters and a two-parter, although the exact order is as yet undetermined. That information from Commodore Nathan Turner at Ground Control is really stretching this metaphor, Mark, but anyway, we'll just we'll, we'll forge and, on. And he spelled Commodore wrong as well. He spelled Commodore. Oh, okay, that's the literacy thing, mate. It's, it's, it's a killer. Recently, members of the flight team took part in an interview with Dr. John Tullock, an Australian gentleman currently working on a behind-the-scenes book with a special slant on kinder. Flight coordinator Saunders hopes that it will not be too long before it comes out. Finally, I would like to remind all interested parties to vote in the fanzine poll details last month. This is Chief Stuart Russell signing off. Have a nice flight. He says, this is clearly a, a backhanded reference to time flight. Um, yes. And it's, it's uh, I think the, the, the writing was on the wall for how bad time flight was, I think. This is actually a, a bit of a shocking bit of news, actually. It says, whoa, hold on. I've been literally flooded with letters, mostly demanding, air quotes, to know why I haven't revealed news and apparently impending cancellation of Doctor Who. Wow. Firstly, may I say that I'm not here to be demanded of anything. And if I get any more rude letters from the noon and nights, I'm just as likely to imp impolitely tell you where you can stuff yourselves. Secondly, mm. the rumours must stand that as for the moment, the BBC understandably deny all knowledge of such a thing. And I think that is best for all parties to uh, keep calm about the whole thing. Above all, I wouldn't flood the production office with letters yet. Remember, it certainly won't be a J&T decision. I can guarantee that. Wait until you hear it from an official source such as me, <laughs> Marvel, 
the Beeb themselves. Okay. I would have thought uh, that the rever- the order would have been reversed, the BBC, and then Marvel, and then a very, very distant last, maybe, maybe Gary Russell. But anyway. Apart from the above, the saddest thing to my mind is to have happened to Doctor Who for many years is the arrival of the news that Tegan will not take off with the Doctor in the TARDIS at the end of time flight. In bold, he says, sorry, I can't tell you any more about it, but rumours suggest she may return mid-20th season. Confused? You will be. That's interesting. So uh, three years before the actual official cancellation of Rumblings back in 1982. I don't know what to make uh, of that. I mean, in terms of fan concerns, I mean, was there any inclination at that point that the BBC were were thinking of cancelling the show? I mean, they just, you know, hired a new lead and they just moved it from its old broadcast time. Uh, You know, so they obviously had some high hopes and, and reading Molesworth's book, uh, there doesn't seem to be any indication that the BBC was interested in in actioning the show at that point. So is it just, you know, just fans at the time worried about something they might have heard? I don't know. It just seems odd. It's a premonition, mate. Premonition from the future. Because I remember reading an Australian fanzine many years ago. It said that the the show faced cancellation at the end of season 17 and season 20 before they officially did the 85 one. So um, I don't know whether that was on the cards at all. We we worry about these things three years before they actually happen. (laughs) Eventually, you know, the rumour will become fact at some point. Irony exists. Uh, Received this morning a letter from Eric Johnson of Stockport. Hello, Eric. Uh, who says that he wrote to Walton Video, who owned the Dalek films, to ask if they're going to market them. And he sent me a letter they sent him saying, quote, we haven't any plans to release the films at present. I then open up my Daily Express and there was the following announcement in their new video section. Something for the kids, their own copy of Doctor Who and a Daleks released by Thorn EMI with Peter Cushing as a Dr. Roy Castle plays his accident-prone assistant. Uh, Ian, which is quite interesting, actually, because now just announced that he's doing cinema screenings of the Dalek films in this country. uh, In this very city, man. In this very city, exactly right. And then, obviously, the 4K Blu-rays are coming out as well, so that would be nice to see them on the uh, big screen and in glorious 4K. So, Mm. yes, that would be quite nice, because I I remember buying a second-hand copy of that Thorn EMI one for about $25.85. Yes, big cash. Jeez. Bet you starved at lunch for the next month after that, mate. I guilt my dad because he made us stay in Canberra a few extra days, which meant I missed the Doctor Who Club of Victoria meeting. Oh. And they were showing the actual black and white Daleks. <laughs> I was furious. How are you going to compensate me? Anyway, he bought me that video. <laughs> Jeez, Mark, you know how to really you know, play on parents' guilt. Oh, absolute <laughs> disgrace. Something I forgot to mention in my editorial. Rob, is that both yes. JNT and Eric say will oversee season 20. It goes to show what powers we fans have. First to five faces, then this. What next? Sarah Sutton in the centrefold of a playboy? Ooh, what? Wow. Wow. Wow, wow Gary. Thank <laughs> you. If we get there. Geez. Yeah. And it goes to the final rumour here, Rob, that Nissa will be joined by a new male companion called Turlo. He's got good uh, contacts, young Gary. It's called a producer. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you go to enough parties with a producer, he's going to blab. Well, the Is bar. It, again, I'm harking back to Richard Molesworth's book, but didn't Gary Lee attend a, a party that uh, J&T was uh, at and, and most of the first issue of DWB was made up of, uh, consisted of what he overheard? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, the... people getting pissed. J&T invited him, I think, to that party. So, yes. Yeah, oh, yes, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, the irony, I think the kids would say, mate. Oh, the irony. Yes, uh, that ended up well, didn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> y- yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do we, do we mention our correspondence with a certain person about... I was going to raise it, but there's no point. 
There's no point, Jesus. Uh, how's your tinfoil hat going, Rob? <laughs> Firmly wrapped around my forehead, mate. Well, after those bombshells of uh, really accurate information, we move to uh, April, uh, the fourth issue of the year. And uh, Gary, uh, again, exposits, I still haven't any accurate news on Target slash WH Allen. It appears that we can expect The Leisure Hive by Dave Fisher at long last on June 17th. But I guess that that is a hardback. And Eric Sayward's The Visitation follows that with Terence Dick's The Croton shortly afterwards. Though, as you said before, Mark, it wouldn't appear for a few more years. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy Warrior's Gate and Peter Davison's A Monster Book from Sparrow? Or Arrow? Yes, Arrow is being a bit... Um, oh, he's been funny, is he? He's being is funny. That, um, now, is that the monster book? That's a that's an anthology of horror fiction, isn't it, or science fiction? I think it's science fiction, I think. I, I must have... I remember seeing the cover and uh, at, at many discount bins at Target, probably at the same time that they were selling those bloody Doctor Who hardbacks for cheap. Oh, oh uh, again, Yeah. Again. Now, Gary goes on, the Chatty Weekly magazine Titbits has at last, dare I say this, he says... Lived up to its name. Amongst the plethora of pickies of various companions, they reprinted the infamous Katie Manning in her full glory with a Dalek one. And now that I've said that, I suspect their back issues department will be flooded with requests. Offhand, I can't remember the details, but it's the one with Janet Fielding looking like Sheena Easton again on the cover. If you want to see, you have to go get some. I will, says Gary. Uh, interestingly. Is there a photo of Janet Fielding looking much like Sheena Easton? There is, actually. I think it's in that Doctor Who Companions book, actually. Is that the one with Nicola Bryant? That's the one on Nicola Bryant, and if you go and try to get that signed, she refuses to sign it. I don't blame her. That should never have sent the light of day. Whoever did that is a disgrace. Yeah, she refused to sign my copy. A very beautiful woman. What? You tried to get her to sign No, I'm not, no, no, no. I've got a picture of her. Uh, I've got a picture of her when she did turn it to Australia at one time, and she was a very nice lady. So, Mark, Celestial Toy Room would actually include copies of uh, newspaper articles, and this one is an absolute beauty. Uh, it's headlined, <laughs> Man's Time Machine Fantasy Led to Arrest. Now, you'll all have to excuse me. Uh, again, I've got my glasses on, but the reproduction on this, Gary Russell, is a bit uh, smudgy. It says, Richard Twin thought he was performing in a new Doctor Who series when he smashed windows at the former home of his ex-girlfriend. He had gone into a telephone booth which he thought was a spaceship or time machine, he told an Old Bailey jury yesterday. When I came out again, I checked the date on my watch. The date showed the year 1991, not 1980, said Twin, unemployed, in brackets. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I say, <laughs> close brackets. Queen's Crescent, Kingsthorpe, Northampton. If anyone can tell me where Northampton is. Mark, where's Northampton? In the UK. The illusion was further enhanced by a jet flying over with lights flashing, he said. Clearly, Mr. Twin is off with the pixies. Twin explained that the saga probably began when he had a meal. After eating, this strange euphoria persisted. I felt as though I had been programmed, he said. Then an inner force made him go to Park Cottages, St. Margarita Road, Twickenham, the former home of a French girlfriend. Ooh la la. After waiting around there for some time, I noticed a telephone booth to my right. I began to think I was doing a film series for the new Doctor Who. Twin said he smashed the glass panes to get into the cottage because he feared that a woman he was married to in 1991 was in danger inside. Okay, so he's a time traveler now, Mark. Police came later and I was taken out of the house. I assumed that I was under arrest. And I remember thinking, how strange. You see, I thought the home was my own property. Twin has denied criminal damage at the cottages in July 1980. 
Unsurprisingly, I say in brackets again, he is conducting his own defence. <laughs> the case continues. <laughs> yeah, Richard Twin, eh? Coming to a sanatorium near you. <laughs> I wonder right. how he went. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that old Bailey records are probably open to, it's 40-odd years now. They, they should be in the public eye. We might do a bit of research. And in news uh, in this latest issue of Celestial Torium, Mark, um, well, there's, a, there's a few items here. Well, let's, let's go. Uh, number one is the pattern for the 20th season has now been decided. It is 26 episodes once again, and we'll go as follows. This is riveting stuff, Mark. Four episodes, four episodes, four episodes, four episodes, four episodes, two episodes, and then closing out with four episodes. As we know, that last four was removed. <laughs> that would have been the uh, resurrection of the Daleks. Correct. Story 16. This is the first story to be made for the new series, but second to be shown. Story is as yet untitled, but it will be penned by kinder writer Christopher Bailey and directed by Castrovava lady Fiona Cumming. Filming starts on the 30th of March, the day episode four of Time Flight goes out. Suspicious there, Mark. Time Flight. Yes. Yes. How bad is Time Flight, Mark? My mate listened to the audio book and said it's a lot better. Ooh, without the visuals, it's it's, <laughs> which is pretty damning for a television program. The, the visuals are better in your mind, apparently. Yes, the audio of the mind. All right. Uh, the third news article is: It is now definite that once again the Doctor Who cameras will travel across the waters for some shooting, but no one has confirmed where and for what story. Now history will obviously tell us that they're going to the wonderful, uh, thriving cosmopolitan red light district. Of Amsterdam. Yes. Tulips from Amsterdam. And cheap weed. Prostitutes in windows. Yes. Exactly. Called Roxanne. Confusion reigns over Target's publication dates again. Uh, some sources indicate simultaneous, they spelled simultaneous wrong, uh, publication of hardened paperbacks, whilst others indicate a month's difference. Solution? Keep visiting your local bookseller. Now, Mark, you, you'll have a better handle on this. Did they release them simultaneously in the UK? I don't think mm-hmm. so. I think they had a couple months difference. Well, that would make sense because that would be the standard approach with Hart. You make the big yeah. dollars out of the more expensive version of it and get mm. the, uh, and then, you know, the, the cheap bastards like me who would wait six months. It used and to me. be in Australia that your hardcover would come out first and then and then you get your paperback six months later. I remember hankering after certain Stephen King books that were coming out in the 80s and going, mm. I'm not paying $30 Australian for that hardcover and I'll pay $8 in six months' time, but grind my teeth while I was waiting. God, mm. 30 bucks hardback is a lot of money back then, wasn't it? They sold, though. They, they, they sold. Mm. Now, the next news article is a slight correction now. The Andre Deutsch background book is entitled The Facts About a Television Series Featuring Doctor Who and Publication has been put back to May of this year. Now, what book is that actually, Mark? That's the making of a television uh, series, uh, which is uh, exclusively talking about mainly the visitation, but also went into a bit of fandom and everything like that, but mainly it's about the making of the visitation. And uh, it's actually quite a good book. And I remember I had a paperback copy, like you said, because it was a cheap bastard. And then years ago, I went into uh, Minotaur Books, and for some reason, they pulled a brand new one out of the archives. It was sitting on the Doctor Who section when there was a Doctor Who section, and that uh, was like twenty dollars. It was a brand spanker. This is like you know twenty years after it'd been uh, released. Obviously, been now, sitting in their archives. I worked in Minotaur in ninety five and ninety six. What year was that, Mark? Did, I reckon I bought that book in the two thousands. Oh, okay. Look. I used to work there. They had heaps of stuff in back corridors, like comics that were 30 years old. Not, you know, 
quality comics or anything like that. Mm. Um, and there was a heap of stuff that was just just stored away that they you know they didn't get a return on or um, or they didn't return to the publisher. So I'm not I'm, in, in one sense I'm surprised you managed to pick up a pristine copy, but on the other hand I'm not really that surprised. Yeah. Given it was a bit of an Aladdin's cave out the back in the three or four sections. So right, well done. Okay. The Castrovalva Viewmaster thingy has Ooh. been put right back until the summer. Boring. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Gary. Come yeah, on. It's sort of a way to publicise a, uh, a thing being, you know, slightly delayed. And uh, to end on a bit of a, uh, a wet notice, Peter Davison's Book of Alien Monsters from Arrow uh, is due out on March the 18th, yeah. 1982. But hang on, this is the April issue of uh, Celestial Toy Room, so March had come and gone. Now, how far in advance did he um, put? Anyway. I reckon uh, it must have been at least a month out. But on the banner, it says, Happy 6th birthday, uh, Dwas. Dwas, 6th birthday. Uh, the Celestial Toy Room, May 5, I should say. And it says, first article says, Hero, Julia Knott re- uh, wrote to me recently and told me of the following. Tom Baker slash Doctor Who has become the favourite hero or heroine in Madame Tussauds and Baker Street. You know the place with all the autons, I mean, Max works. The mm. Doctor Who experience was set up in 1980 and has been strong ever since, although no changes to the original cast oh, clever, uh, have taken place. The top five are now Doctor Who. That's number one. Number two is Lord Carrington. Number three, Liza Minnelli. Number four is Elvis Presley. Not too sure what era. Is it uh, pre-war or pre-army or is it fat bastard time? Fat <laughs> Number five, J.R. Ewing. Wow. Okay. Well, this, this is the era of who shot J.R., so yeah. one isn't surprised. Yes, exactly. Those of you worried by the runner-up may also like to know that uh, Air Quote's favourite politician was Maggie T., Hmm, perhaps it's not only the exhibits that are made of wax. Ooh, uh, oh, wow. wow. Yeah, the ooh. communists are in charge of the Celestial Toy Room. <laughs> <More> <laughs> Daddy was a coal miner, says Gary Russell. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I know there are plenty out there who are scarred. I'm sorry. Just remember, she stole my milk, Rob. And uh, just out of interest, Doctor Who was voted fourth in the Daily Express's poll for favourite children's program. Wow. What? Daily Express. There you go. Bloody rag. The next article is headlined, Letraset Mate was so versatile, I've got to say that. Snake in the tulips, or a case of look before you tiptoe. Celestial Toy Room hasn't suddenly gone mad on awful puns, but ye editor is merely drawing your attention to the latest news on the next 20th season. Gary goes on to say that he briefly reported uh, in the previous issue that story two, and he stated that uh, it was going to be written by kinder author Christopher Bailey and directed by Fiona Cummings. Now, Gary says that there will be two famous names joining the uh, the cast, but he doesn't actually go into who they are. Dykes, tulips, windmills, and a singing mouse called Topov. Uh, mean anything to you? No? I'm <laughs> not surprised. <laughs> Think of the flat country on the west of Europe where such things as... Okay, this is what happens when you adopt German as your national language, <laughs> you Dutch people. <laughs> Can be found on a uh, Doctor Who bookshelf. Yes, you've got it right. It's Holland. Last month, I again only briefly told you that the BBC's cameras were going abroad for the next series. And story number one, that's, which is 6E for you fact fans, takes us into the capital city of Amsterdam. Uh, this is only the second time that filming has been done abroad. Obviously, the previous one was The City of Death, which was a season poll winner two years ago. So Gary's obviously hinting that maybe this one will be. No, Gary, it will not be. Uh, 6E is written by Trakenite, Johnny Byrne, and directed by Time Flight and Black Orchid Supremo, Ron Jones. This is Supremo. This is warning you people. You had the facts in front of you and you didn't realise. All in all, Gary concludes, it looks as if season 20 will be 
as good as, if not better than, the last. And that is no mean feat. It actually is. It is a mean feat, Mark, because clearly season 20 is not quite as good. Such optimism. And uh, when you hear the words Black Orchid, Supremo and Time Flight, you know it, it's a bit rocky, isn't it, at the beginning? Yeah, it's not going to be great, is it, really? Uh, yeah, well, no. This yes. one here, I'm going to let you read this out because I think this is right up your alley with regarding old episodes of Doctor Who. Yes, Mark. This will uh, interest uh, everyone, no doubt. Uh, it begins, finally, there is the question of the society buying old episodes of Doctor Who to show at our conventions. When we first started buying Tribe of Gum slash Unearthly Child, we did not think it likely that it would ever be televised again. Now, through the success of The Five Faces of Doctor Who, we are in a situation where the very stories that we are likely to choose to buy are those most likely to be chosen for transmission if there should be another series of repeats. The large amounts of money it costs to buy such a story is unquestionably worth it if we get a number of showings of an otherwise inaccessible story. But is it still worth it if that story is shown on TV a couple of months after our first showing of it? They're probably a few years too late in terms of, I mean, they're only four or five years old. Oh, they're six years old, aren't they? I mean, it's yeah. only two. They could have been buying it from 77 onwards, I suppose. Well, they tried to get Galaxy 4, didn't they? And they found that it had been uh, thrown to the wind. Yes, but they're on the cusp of the, the whole video age. I mean, you've done, yeah. the dialogue movies are coming out on video. So it was Revenge of the Cyberman, Mark, that was the first one to come out on video, right. wasn't it? It was yes. not, not too far away from now. So, no, it's a year after, I think. Look, it's a dilemma. I mean, obviously, you want to have something that you can sell to new members, come and see old episodes of Doctor Who that you'll never oh. see on telly, but then suddenly they're all on telly or they're coming to a VH store near you. So it's not probably a wise uh, expenditure of um, members' money, is it? No, and these guys, because they were sort of officially aligned to the BBC, I don't think they could show copies of the invasion say that we used to show at our doctor who club meetings and things like that yes they had to toe the party line but uh, let's be honest the, the trade over there in terms of pirate videos and they've also had the five bases was uh, definitely starting to uh, ramp up over there your friend pirate pit was obviously you know just still in the in, in the in the cradle but ready to I start think, yeah, uh, duplicating I, he was basically out of the pram and uh, off dixon's what it was called and buying two vhs machines and off he went supplying australia a plenty Mm. And God bless you, sir. Hope you're doing well. Now, this news article here, uh, there was a character in Doctor Who called Bissa. This is a testament to the UK uh, media's uh, newspaper. Yes, yes <laughs> uh, exactly. Dedication to uh, accuracy and facts, Mark. Bit of fake news here, but goes, uh, Bissa links up with Doctor Who. That's what the headline says. That is, <laughs> yes. And not only does it in the headline, but it does it for the rest of the article, which I'm going to read out right now. It's been quite an experience to act as a link between two versions of Doctor Who, says Sarah Sutton. As Bissa, a new assistant, she appeared in the final two programs of the last series featuring Tom Baker, large than life and twice as eccentric. But then she went straight on to witness the Doctor's generation as Peter Davison, slender and boyish in his stylized Victorian cricket outfit in the present series. Even they could detect that the Davison costume was a marketing ploy. It was such an opportunity, she says, to be able to play the same character opposite two brilliant actors so different from each other. She appeared also in several radio plays as Maria Charleworth, Byron's childhood sweetheart in the BBC uh, Byron, a personal tour. Doctor Who has been very much a full-time business. We've had to work tremendously hard, but there's, we get plenty of laughs. Peter's such fun. What we enjoy most is when you press a button and something wonderful is supposed to happen, but nothing actually does. She's contracted to make another series and production starts in April, but she feels that even if she was asked, it'll be unwise for her to continue in the program after that. So Bissa is giving a bit of a heads up there that he's probably going to uh, get the Bissa out of there. Well, it's, it's denying J&T an opportunity to uh, splash that news across the red tops. 
Mm. And uh, but anyway, can you do? I like the bit here. There's a paragraph. It says rather patron, well, no, very patronizingly. At twenty, Sarah is a grown-up young lady with her own flat in <laughs> Holland Park. Well, <laughs> strike me. <laughs> She's twenty in that photo. Jeez. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Really. We were and young that, once, Mark, weren't we? Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> Imagine kids at twenty moving out now. My God, might not be stuck here forever. Happier times and places, I think, right back then, wasn't apparently, it? Apparently, apparently, mm. Mark. Mark, we move on to June, uh, which coincidentally is forty years ago. The right now, June. You were in June recording. I know. Shocking, isn't it? Ah, memories. All right. So the uh, front page of the Celestial Toy Room uh, for June, uh, well, says a number of things, but the one that strikes uh, me uh, the most is cancellation. Let all your fears of the rumoured cancellation of Doctor Who be allayed. It is all, to quote officials at the BBC, rubbish. The program is achieving the ratings that Alan Hart, BBC One controller, wanted for it, despite the fact that the New Times don't appear to be all that popular. Well, who are they not popular with, uh, Gary? The fans? Again, are the fans the ones watching it in droves? Probably not. Mm. And Peter Davison has been a magnificent success with the public at large. He was voted top man on TV in the Swap Shop Awards. Producer John Nathan Turner said, quote, if they were even considering cancelling it, don't you think they'd tell the producer first? Unquote. <laughs> well, <laughs> they well, never Gary. did. <laughs> they never did, John. Well, poor did old they? JNT, eh? He was the last one to know when actually, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, this is interesting, though. So now you can sit and eagerly anticipate season 20 without any worry of a not returning in dear old 1984. Mm. Just replace 84 with 85 and it's a different story. Yes. Mm. Again, he's almost prescient, young Gary, but there you go. There you mm, go. Exactly. Uh, Janet's back. 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 She's back, baby. Uh, well, firstly, my grateful thanks to the Radio Times, uh, soon to have a title change, I'm informed. It's interesting. Uh, for managing to pre-empty my lead story for this month. So 99% of you already knew that Tegan, played by Janet Fielding, will be returning in a 20th season. She will be first seen again, there's a paradox for you, in story number one, Arc of Infinity, and Janet Fielding joins Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton on location in Amsterdam at the end of May. Now, just quickly, Mark, when Janet Fielding left at the end of Time Flight, were you left shattered and shocked and, you know, curled up in a ball somewhere in your living room? No, not really. Oh, okay. No, I think I was still trying to get over the, the shock of Adric the dying. The great man. Oh, sorry. You know? I, thought, I thought you meant Tom Baker. No. Uh, oh. And when Matthew Waterhouse leaving was left yeah. shocked. <laughs> didn't make an impact on me at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, hmm. it's another one gone. Well, there you go. Listen to what sort of Gary's sort of musing about, shall we? In the editorial, it goes, welcome to this month's Celestial Toy Room. I don't know how you feel, but the above news about Tegan's return and the doctor's visit to Gallifrey strike me as two of the most important news items in months. 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 Tegan is surely the first companion to actually leave the series for some time before coming back. And the idea of seeing the Time Lords again certainly excites me. Opinion of the two Baker Gallifrey stories differ, except that the general feeling is that the Time Lords were awfully portrayed. Wow. Was this written wow. by Jan Vincent Rudsky? Let us hope that with JNT at the helm, we may see again Time Lords in the early 70s sort, aloof and mysterious. I'm sorry to let you know, Gary, that it did not happen. It didn't end up well, did it, uh, Mark? No, exactly right. May I offer uh, my thanks to you all who came and supported Dwas Social 3 in April. The dames seemed to go by incredibly quickly, no doubt helped by the appearance of Douglas Canfield and Tony Ainley. There you go. That would have been a pretty good event, actually. Canfield yeah. was dead within a couple of years of this, wasn't he? Two years later, he's dead. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. That actually it would have been good to hear him speak. Yes, it would have been sadly. good. Sadly. 
You would have been great to direct the five doctors. Yes. Well, mm. what are you going to do? Mm. And Mark, uh, there is this. Uh, well, there's this sad news item here. It's, there's a there's a grinning. Tom Baker has got the best set of teeth that the National Health Service. <laughs> Uh, but there's Lala Ward there. She's looking young, fresh, vibrant, looking to the future with her new new husband. Um, but sadly, it's, uh, well, uh, the article says, remember this from the first celestial toy room of last year? And he's referring to the, uh, the photo I've just described. How sad now to discover 16 months later that the showbiz marriage of the year has come to an abrupt and unexpected end. Unexpected, Gary? I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, <laughs> let us all hope that before too long, Dr. and Mrs. Do, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Dr. and Mrs. Who get back together and for a long time. Well, it's like it's like having your parents break up. When Lola Ward and Tom Baker walk down the aisle, it's like it would have been just, just the happiest moment for fandom and their hearts would have swelled. And then to hear that they'd separated after a mere 11 months of marriage. I was going to say 11 weeks. It'd be like, <laughs> like Britney Spears getting married on a Friday and then breaking up with the husband on a Sunday. Yeah. I hope those two do get back together. Well, they yeah, did actually, and Big Finish. <laughs> they did. Uh, no, hang on. Are they still in recording se- in separate studios? They're actually recording in separate continents, I think. At one countries. Point, that's true. Yeah, because uh, isn't Lala Ward yeah. living in Hong Kong now? I think so. Yeah, she's I living in so. Honkers. Yeah. Mm. So that's it for the first six months of 1982. Our next episode will be focusing on the remainder of that year. We've recorded it. We're just a little bit behind in the editing at the moment. So we thought in the interest of time, plus our sanity, we get this episode out to you as quick as we can. The second half of this episode will be appearing feeds in the next week or two. After that, uh, Rob and I have been frantically prepping out the rest of the year. We've got some hopefully interesting topics coming up. But also in the background, I've been working on a little special mini episode regarding the Peter Davison visit to Australia in 1983. So I've been able to track down a uh, fan who attended the event, uh, later became a journalist. He wrote a really great article, so I've been able to track him down and have a really good chat about his thoughts and memories of the day. I've also been able to get some contributions from other fans all over the country, and that'll be appearing as well sometime during the year as well. So for the moment, we'll take a break and uh, look forward to uh, speaking to you all very, very soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42todoomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42todoomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42todoomsday. Please check out our blog, 42todoomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.